0: Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and it is uh, good to be with you. Uh, if you are joining us, maybe this is your first Sunday uh, here or, or online, um, you are joining us in the midst of a sermon series in the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians is New Testament book written by the Apostle Paul. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at the second half of the chapter this morning. And, and at the close of uh, this chapter, we're now halfway through this book. Um, so uh, it felt like we were in 1 Samuel for, for maybe ever. <laughs> uh, but but short books, we seem to fly through because it feels like we just started Philippians. But, um, but we are about halfway through uh, this book of uh, Philippians. And as we've been going through it, um, and as we come particularly to this passage this morning, uh, it would be very easy for us to look at these verses and kind of think of them as kind of flyover verses, the verses that maybe we pass over very quickly, like maybe while you're doing your uh, daily devotions or your. Uh, Bible reading plan you come to the end of Philippians 2 and you think well I'll I'll just kind of skim over this portion because uh, I want to get to the really meaty really thick theological portions of the book right like the portions we've already heard in the beginning of chapter 2 or next week uh, I can't wait to get to chapter 3 and Paul bearing his soul and talking about the things that he values and and so it's easy to look at these verses and think well you know they're not really that theological and so we'll just move on but don't do that (laughs) don't do that because all of god's word is profitable all of god's word is beneficial to us and um, all of god's word is written not only for the particular people who first received it but also for us and so this portion is actually significant to our understanding of philippians as well Because in this portion of Philippians, what we're given is a picture of what the Christian life is to look like. See, the Apostle Paul isn't attempting to write a systematic theology. That's not the point of Philippians. The point of Philippians is a letter written to a particular people at a particular time with particular issues. And he gives us two particular people as demonstrators of what it means to walk faithfully with the Lord. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and read Philippians two, beginning in verse nineteen. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I, that I may too, that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and to honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we acknowledge right from the outset that apart from you, uh, we can do nothing good. That apart from you, we would be blind and our hearts would be hard, but in you, you have opened our eyes and you have softened our hearts. And so we pray that you would help us to see you clearly, that we would cling to your grace and that you would stir in us new affections to follow you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So most of you know uh, that uh, I've only been a, an American citizen for a little over a decade now. It was December 2010 that I uh, became a citizen, uh, that that we uh, had our my citizenship ceremony in St. Louis, Missouri, in the federal courthouse. We have this great picture of our family. Cole uh, was uh, less than two months old, so he's sitting in Cat's lap as we took this picture. I think that may... He can't do that anymore. <laughs> but um, but we, it was this great time for us as a family to, uh, to witness me becoming a citizen. And it, it's a really interesting ceremony if you've ever been to one. If you have the opportunity, I'd encourage you to go to it. It's, it's pretty cool. At my ceremony, they had every one of us stand up and say where we are from and what brought us to America. And so there was a woman from Brazil, and men from the Middle East, and people from far and crazy places like Canada. And so uh, I wasn't the only Canadian. There was another as well. And we said where we were from. And then the, the judge who was presiding over the ceremony gave a charge and told us a little bit about what it meant to be an American. And then we took our vows. We took our oath. And they gave us our certificate. And we had pictures taken. And when the ceremony was over, we all left the courthouse. We left the room. And, and uh, they, they had a place for us to, to sign up, to register, to vote because that's what citizens do, right? We, we vote. So I went over and registered, and then they gave us these little gift bags. Uh, it's kind of funny, the citizenship ceremony, they have little gift bags, little mementos for the occasion. But, and in this gift bag was a little American flag and a little scratch pad that said United States of America, and a whole host of other things that have uh, either been lost, thrown away, or in some bottom of a drawer somewhere in my house. But there was one thing that I remembered very distinctly and that I've looked at even since, and that was the Citizens' Almanac. This almanac, this little book, was a book of other citizens of the United States. Historical figures dating from the very founding of the country until the more present time, and it has politicians, it has intellectuals, it has inventors, it has athletes, and it gives little bios about every person. And it's very clear what the intent of this is. It's not simply so that we would learn a little bit more of the history of America. It's very, intent that the, it's very clear that the intent of them giving us the Citizens' Almanac is so that these new citizens would read about these great citizens and see what it's like to be a citizen of the United States. See, what they're presenting for us, what they're giving to these new citizens are models of what they expect citizens to be like. You know, stories about George Washington or Jackie Robinson, that these are great Americans, and if you're going to be American, you should imitate them. You should be like them. It's an invitation to imitation. And imitation is a part of our daily lives. We experience it every day. I know that we like to think of ourselves as these autonomous thinkers, that we're self-reliant, that we have our own resolve, but the reality is is that we imitate all the things around us all the time. Right from children who imitate their parents to to companies that imitate successful products. I mean, have you ever noticed that every smartphone basically looks the same? Or that every tablet, whether it's made by Apple or Kindle or whoever, that, that they're basically the same? They're just simply imitating one another, right? They're copying one another. They've seen something that's successful, something that's right, something that's good, and they just duplicate it, and we do it as well. Imitation is a part of our daily lives, but it's also a part of our Christian lives. You see, that is the expectation of the Bible, that as we see these people that are presented before us, that some of them we would actually imitate, That their lives are to be models for our lives. And that's what we see in Timothy and Epaphroditus. You see, already in this book, Paul has called us to consider our lives, ourselves, as more important, others as more important than ourselves, to live our lives with humility, to have the mind of Christ. We've received this instruction, but now in these verses, Paul is giving us examples, demonstrations of what that now looks like. That we would look at Timothy and Epaphroditus and we would live our lives like they have. That we would imitate them. And when we look at their lives, what we see is that these lives that we are to lead, these lives that we are to live, that we are to be lived together in a community that's first a family. That's what we see in this passage. That we imitate Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul by living together as a family. You notice that's the language that Paul used about Timothy and Epaphroditus. He doesn't use the actual word family, but in verse 22 he says, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And then speaking of Epaphroditus in verse 25, he says, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Brother, son, Father, This is familial language Now before we discount it before we put it aside and say paul's just speaking hyperbolically, right? Like he has great affection for these men and so so he's like well He's my brother, you know like the way that we might throw that word around. He's my brother I'm like a son to him a father to him Before we say that it's hyperbole. We have to remember that actually familial language is very common in the scriptures that that the New Testament employs familial language when talking about the church. Like for instance in John chapter 1. We're told that believers in Christ are the children of God. We're told in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. It's in the writings of Paul and the writings of John and in the gospels that, that this is who we are. That those who are trusting in Christ, who are looking to him, that we are now the family of God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. Mothers and fathers. Sons and daughters in the Lord. And we're a family. Now as a family, this doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, right? I mean, far from it. Kids, you know in your families, uh, brother sins against sister. And everybody sins against mom. <laughs> right? And, and parents sin against their children. Like, families are not perfect. Far from it. And neither are we. The truth is, is, is I'm going to fail you at some point, if I haven't already. That, that I'm going to make mistakes, and I already have. And not just me with you, but you with one another, right? And you to me, like, but what it means is that as a family, it doesn't mean that at the first sign of failure that, that we go running. But that as a family, we are marked by repentance and forgiveness and grace. Because that's who we are. You see, we are the family of God. It means that we have a a deep bond and a significant connection to one another. And this isn't just in our local expression of the church. This is reflected in, in the universal expression of the church as well. You see, we actually have a more significant and deeper bond with those believers in places like Asia and Africa who don't look like us and don't speak our language than we do with the non-Christian who lives next door to us. That who we are in Christ, that we are members of his family, are more significant than our ethnicity or our race or our nationality or our gender, That, that... who we are in Christ, being the family of God, that that is what unites us. That is what connects us. And that we are to live this way, as God's family. And we are, as God's family, to celebrate one another. You see, as we look upon Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul, what we see is celebration. You see, celebration. Now, I imagine that if we were to think about the, the historical church, if we were to think about the New Testament church and we were to think about the people that were significant in the advancement of the gospel, like our minds would go to names like Luther and Calvin, right? That's maybe where we go as Reformed Christians particularly, right? We would think about them, and and maybe if we start thinking about our personal lives, those people who have been influential in our lives, maybe we would think about like a pastor when we were young, or, or a church leader who helped teach us to read the Bible and learn how to pray and those sorts of things, right? We'd have these particular people in mind. And in the New Testament, we think about Paul and John and Peter, right? And rightfully so, we should think about these people because the Lord has used these individuals in our lives and in the life of the church. But sometimes when we think about them, it's easy for us to think, think about them in such a way that, that it's like they have a big S on their chest. You know, it's kind of hot, hidden under their robes, and we're just waiting. We just know that in, in, in a time of, of, of emergency, a time when we need them, they're going to come out of the phone booth, and they're going to show themselves to be the hero that we need. I mean, that's what we do with leaders, isn't it, in our world? We exalt them in this way. We make them out to be the, the hero that we are looking to, right? I mean, there's an entire understanding of the world called the great man of history, right? The great men of history this hero myth, that that's what we are in need of. And we do it in the church as well. But did you notice what Paul did? There's no question that Paul has gifts and he's been used by the Lord. But notice when he has opportunity, Paul doesn't exalt himself. He doesn't celebrate his own accomplishments. What does he do? He celebrates others. Look at verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth. I have no one like him. And then speaking of Epaphroditus, he says he's a fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. You see, Paul celebrates the humble service of these two men. Now, Timothy was a pastor. He was in formal leadership, but Epaphroditus wasn't. In fact, we know almost nothing about this guy, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Up until now, we haven't heard his name. And after these few verses, he's going to fade away in obscurity. There's nothing that would incline us to believe that he was a leader, that he was clergy, that he had any sort of position of authority or influence within the church. He was simply a faithful member. And yet Paul points him out. And Paul celebrates him. And so this should challenge who it is that we celebrate. And what is it that we celebrate in our midst? Forget about the world. I mean, think about in the church. I mean, isn't it easy for us to celebrate those who we see every week up front? It's easy to. Right? It's easy to celebrate or to think that important people are the people who have titles or who have names It's easy to value people because of their position. But y'all, often in the kingdom of God, that's not how it works. The pastor Kent Hughes, he once said that we must understand that to serve in some unnoticed, unrecognized place in the body of Christ is as much the work of Christ as his public ministry. Let me say that one more time. We must understand that to serve in some unnoticed Unrecognized place in the body of Christ is as much the work of Christ as his public ministry. I Wonder if we believe that If we value every member's contribution You remember what Paul said in 1st Corinthians 12 when he's talking about the church he uses a body the body as a metaphor and he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And the implication of the metaphor is clear, right? That, that for a body to function properly, for it to operate as it was intended, it can't just be a big eye. <laughs> right? It can't just be some massive head. It can't just be a pair of feet. That for the, bo- the body to operate as it was intended, it needs every aspect of the body. Every part of the body needs to be functioning as it was intended to. And so we celebrate. We celebrate the faithful work of all the body. We celebrate people like Stacy, who's never been up front, but who every week is faithfully serving and doing many, many things in order to allow us to be able to be here together on Sundays. We celebrate Stacy and we celebrate people like the Monsons who are here every mor- almost every single week early before most of us are even when they're not scheduled to be here early and we celebrate Jarl and John who faithfully serve and, and make things happen in the in the sound booth and all their whole team like like we don't see them right we don't notice them but but before the service is over, you should just take a look and look at the people back there who are faithfully serving every week. And there's people with communion. There's people who are coming in and setting up the chairs and making sure the room is the way it needs to be during the week. There are people who are faithfully, faithfully serving. And those are the people we should be celebrating. We should be thanking the Lord for. Epaphroditus is in our midst that we celebrate the contributions of all of God's people. You see, that's how we imitate Paul in this passage. That's how we imitate Timothy and Epaphroditus, by, by celebrating the lives that God has placed in our midst. But finally, as we imitate, it's going to lead us to living lives of sacrifice. You see, that's what we see in these men. We see examples of sacrifice. Look at verses 20 and 21. Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not exactly sure who the all is here. Paul doesn't name names, okay? We're not sure who the all is, but before we assume that the all are those people out there, like outside the church, We we have to remember that this kind of self-focus this selfish kind of inward turning is not just a problem out there But it's actually something that has seeped into the church You remember earlier in the book Paul actually talked about those people who were preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry And he said, some proclaim the gospel out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. You see, their ministry and their lives were for their own selfish gain, their own notoriety, their own benefit, their own name. And y'all, that wasn't just a problem then. The reality is it's a problem today, too. I mean, many of us witnessed and have seen stories and heard the news of yet another scandal in the church where a leader surrounded by other leaders used their places of influence and power and leadership for their own gain and for their own name and for their own position. And y'all, the truth is, is it ought not to be so. It ought not to be so. The church is to be the place where we sacrifice and give ourselves not for our own welfare, but for the welfare of others, for the sake of one another, for the sake of those who are in need of the gospel. You see, the reason why Paul commends Timothy is because he knows Timothy's concern isn't for himself. He said it; it is for the church and the cause of Christ. But it's not just the church's welfare that motivates Timothy's sacrifice. It's also his service to Christ. It is Christ that motivates his sacrifice. That's what he says, right? Those are those seek- they are those who are seeking their own self-interest, but Timothy is seeking the interest of Jesus. And it's not just Timothy, but we hear it about Epaphroditus as well. In verse 30, Paul says, He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So this is what we think was happening here. So Epaphroditus has been with Paul, and Paul is sending Epaphroditus to the Philippians, but he's sending him back to the Philippians because Epaphroditus has been sent by the Philippians to Paul. Okay, and the reason why we think that he was being sent by the Philippians was, well, he says he was a messenger and ministered to his need. And what Epaphroditus was probably doing was taking provision or a financial gift to Paul. Because in this day, if you were in prison or in jail, that you, you, uh, the prison didn't provide your needs, your daily sustenance, your daily provision to you. You had to rely upon friends or family. And so what we think was occurring was the Philippians, hearing that Paul is in jail, hearing that he's going to have need, they give this gift. But they themselves can't take it to him. They can't minister as a whole. That's why Paul says that Epaphroditus was filling up what was lacking, completing what was lacking in their service. What was lacking was they couldn't be with him. And so Epaphroditus takes this gift, this provision, and he takes it to Paul. He serves on behalf of the Philippians. And to end this service, not just to Paul, but ultimately service in Christ, he became ill and nearly died. That's what Paul said, right? He nearly died for the work of Christ. And so what we see is that not just Timothy, but Epaphroditus was willing to sacrifice. Was willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, was willing to sacrifice for the sake of Paul was willing to sacrifice in service of our Lord. Now listen, I'm not saying that all of us, or maybe even that any of us, will one day be called to physically die for the sake of the Lord. Maybe. I mean, there are martyrs today. I mean, that is not that is not something that just was a reality uh, hundreds of years ago. That might be what the Lord would call some or many of us to. But whether he's calling us to physically give our lives in service of him or not, the point remains that we are called to sacrifice. We are called to give of ourselves for the sake of Christ and for the sake of one another. And we are to do this because it's been done for us. What's fascinating about this passage is that when Paul speaks about Epaphroditus, and he says that he nearly died, he came close to death. In the Greek here, there's a clear echo to, verse, uh, to chapter 2, verse 18. And that's when Paul is speaking about Christ, and about Christ he says that Christ was obedient to the point of death. Now, it's not as clear the connection in our English translations, came close to death, nearly died, obedient to the point of death. But in the Greek, it is a clear, clear echo. And what Paul is indicating by using the same language that he applied to Jesus, now using it in application to Epaphroditus, is the reason for why we would be willing to sacrifice. The reason why we would be willing to serve in this way, and it is because Christ has served us. He has sacrificed for us. He gave himself, not just by coming close to death, but he gave himself by actually dying, right? We heard it just a couple weeks ago that Christ did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but took on flesh and lived a life that we could not live and died in our stead and has been exalted. And because he has sacrificed for us, we have lives that are to be lived in sacrifice for him. for one another, that this is who we are to be because this is who we are. You see, we are the family of God who has been called as a community to sacrifice and to celebrate and to live as his family because the one who has given himself has made us that. So let's ask him to help us do it now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we Respond to your word. And as we hear your call and we see these pictures of what it means to faithfully follow you, that you, by your spirit, would equip us. That you would put before us a picture, not just of Timothy or Paul or Epaphroditus, but a picture of Jesus who gave of himself so that we would have life who sacrificed himself so that we would live as your people. And so we pray that that is what would motivate us, that that is what would encourage us, that that is what would empower us to live our lives today and all of our days as your people, celebrating your work and living sacrificially for your sake. Help us to do that, we pray. And all of God's people said together, amen.